0: It is Tuesday, June the 9th. We are studying in Second Peter. We're in Second Peter chapter three. We've reached verse number 10, which is a very familiar verse, I hope to many of you. It says a lot, there's a lot here, so let's get to it. Verse number 10, after speaking about the mockers, denying the return of the Lord, and the fact that God is not slow in fulfilling his promises, look here at verse number 10. But the day of the Lord, there's a phrase we're gonna have to grapple with here. It will come like a thief. And then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done in it will be exposed. That's how the ESV reads here. And let's let's dive right in here. Let's start with that phrase, "the day of the Lord." We really can't understand that in a context of a first-century church that is bringing all the theology of the Old Testament into it without looking at the Old Testament use of that phrase. Of course, it is a future event that's still to come, and there was often a reference to the day of the Lord throughout the Old Testament that had a near reference to some kind of intervention of God into time and space and history, usually in His judgment, and then a future uh, day of the Lord, an ultimate eschatological end of the world day of the Lord. So let's look at a few usages here. Let's look at Zephaniah chapter 1. The great day of the Lord is near, and that's always the expectation of this could happen at any time. God is going to step in and do something. And in terms of historical references, we see many of them in the Old Testament of God then judging the uh, enemies of Israel. And then oftentimes the prophets saying, But you're a part of that too because you need to uh, be reformed in your own heart. You need your heart to be aligned with God. And a lot of people relying on their relationship to Abraham and not God, unfortunately, were a part of that judgment as well. Anyway, it's near and it's hastening fast. Historical reference to this the sound of the day of the Lord is bitter. The mighty man cries aloud there, right? He's, he's defeated because God's strength is coming in judgment. Uh, a day of wrath is that day, a day of distress and a day of anguish, a day of ruin, a day of devastation, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of, of clouds and thick darkness, a day of trumpet blast, which was the call to a battle, right? The battle cry against the fortified cities and against the lofty battlements. Here is a picture of the day of the Lord You can get the sense of it being connected throughout Scripture in terms of judgment. Look at Obadiah. It's only one chapter. That's why there's no chapter reference here. Obadiah, verses 15 through 18. For the day of the Lord is near upon all the nations. Here's a picture of God judging the world. As you have done, it shall be done to you. Right? There's going to be judgment, retribution that's fair and just. Your deeds shall return on your own head. For as you have drunk my... For as you have drunk on my holy mountain, so all the nations shall drink continually, and they shall drink and swallow, and they shall be as though they had never been. And in, the Mount, and in Mount Zion, there will be those who escape. Now, there's also salvation in the day of the Lord. It shall be holy, set apart. And the house of Jacob shall possess their own possessions. And the house of Jacob shall be a fire. It will win. God's people win. And the house of Joseph, a flame. And the house of Esau, stubble. And they shall burn them and consume them. And there shall be no survivor in the house of Esau. The Lord has spoken the picture of judgment and salvation also in this picture of the day of the Lord. Joel chapter 2. We saw this when we studied Acts chapter 2 not long ago. Uh, blow a trumpet in Zion, sound an alarm on my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming. It is it is near, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness. Like blackness, there is spread upon the mountains uh, a great and powerful people, like there never been before now, nor will there be again after them through all the years of of all generations. Fire devours them, and behind them a flame burns. I'm just adding the references to these because of the continual reference or allusion to God's judgment and burning. Uh, The land is like the Garden of Eden before them, but behind them is a desolate wilderness. Doesn't matter how prosperous they are, nothing escapes them. This judgment is coming, and God is using nations here and instruments of His wrath to get that done. All right, well, that picture of the coming judgment of God is certainly in view in our passage. The day of the Lord will come like a thief, and the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up. But let's deal with this, like a thief. This is a theme throughout the teachings of the New Testament, in particular, the teachings of Christ. As Paul puts it in First Thessalonians chapter five verse two, for you yourselves are fully of the fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While well, the people are saying there is peace and security, everything's fine, right? Like the Garden of Eden, everything's going to be great. Then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. You can see the themes tied to the Old Testament picture of this. No one's going to get out of this. Uh, you, but you are not in darkness, brothers. That the day. Uh, for that day to surprise you like a thief. Okay, The only people that are not going to be surprised by the thief are the people that are always preparing to have this thief in their midst. In other words, the only one that's not surprised by an attack or an event that is not scheduled is the one who expects it all the time, the imminent kind of expectation of the thing that is happening uh, in Scripture. The event here is the coming of the Lord. Luke chapter. Uh, Twelve, verse 36 through 40, speaking of the parable of Christ about preparing for this day of the Lord, which, by the way, I should say before we get any further, day, of course, is a series of events. It's coming in judgment. There's all kinds of events recorded in the Scripture, both Old and New Testament, regarding the series of events in God judging the people of the world and also saving his remnant people or the people that have trusted in him. And so when Jesus was here, he was teaching that we should be like men waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast. He told parables and stories about the kingdom of God that is gonna be delayed and we are to wait for the coming of the kingdom of God. And we should be like them that are waiting for their master to return from a long trip that we can open the door to him at once. Immediately when he comes and knocks. Why? Because we're ready. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake. We're thinking about it. We know he's coming. We're praying for it. When he comes, truly I say to you, he will dress himself. Here's the master now for service and have them, the servants, recline at the table. There's a turn of events right there. And he will come and he will serve them. That's a good thing. You want the master to take the resources and the blessings that he has available to him to him, and pour them out on his servants generously and that's the reward that's coming for the people that follow him. If he comes in the second watch or the third watch uh, and finds them awake, well then blessed are those servants. So this is late in the night of course watches for the people that are on the wall watching for the enemy to come and the Bible here says even if it's in the middle of the night, the second or third watch, uh, if we're awake and ready and anticipating it, which which all Christians should do, then we are going to be blessed. But know this, that if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be be broken into. He would have been prepared. So you also, it says, must be ready for the Son of Man is is coming at an hour you do not expect. That is the picture of always being ready for the day of the Lord because we know that the day of the Lord is going to come without warning and because the series of events involved in the day of the Lord is going to start without any kind of uh, precursor. I mean, a general forecast the Bible talks about before the coming of the Lord, but the idea of that event happening, it's not going to happen with a countdown clock, at least not from our perspective. We have no hints of that. It's not for us to know the day or the hour, but he's going to come and he's going to come like a thief and we should be ready for it because we're ready at any time for the return of the Lord. Well, What's involved in this? We'll take a look at this next phrase. Then the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved. This is the repeated picture throughout the Bible as it relates to the ultimate day of the Lord. The precursors, whether it's the judgment of the Assyrians or the Babylonians or whatever it might be in terms of foreign armies, the real issue is looking for this ultimate day of the Lord where everything in this world as we know it is going to be changed in this case the heavenly bodies are going to be burned up the heavens the sky space is going to pass away take a look at Joel chapter 3 verses 13 through 16 put in the sickle right you remember what that is that tool for harvest for it is the harvest is right go and tread you remember these phrases at least from some popular uh, verses in the hymnology of the church Uh, or even in uh, political uh, patriotic songs, the the winepress of God is full. He's kind of come and uh, the wrath of God is going to be treaded out in this winepress. It's full. The vats overflow, for their evil is great. It's time for God to come and deal with a sinful world. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision, or some old translation, the valley of Jehoshaphat, the Lord judges. For the day of the Lord is near, here's our phrase again, in the valley of decision. The sun and the moon are darkened darkened, and the stars withdraw their shining. Here's the cataclysmic events that are always talked about, not only in Joel 3, but in Joel chapter 2. In Joel chapter 2, you remember Peter quotes that passage there in Acts chapter 2 as he's preaching. Well, certainly this is in view in Peter's mind as he's writing this, as God uses him to get these things down for us generations later. The idea of a cataclysmic event is what we're going to see at the end of time. The Lord roars, there's our picture, from Zion, we talk about this all passing away with a roar, and utters his voice from Jerusalem and the heavens and the earthquake, but the Lord is a refuge to his people and a stronghold to the people of Israel. And there's where we always see the dual picture of God, saving his people and God judging the world. And those events of saving and judging are all a part of a series of eschatological events that we see throughout the Scripture. And this is something that we are to look forward to in terms of salvation and grieve, in terms of the judgment on the world, and wanting to see as many people reach repentance as possible as long as the Lord delays it, delays it from our perspective, but it's, of course, all right on schedule. Well, much we could say about that in the book of Revelation, but we don't have time. I just want to quickly deal with this. Depending on your translation, if you're following along the ESV, this is what you read, but you'll see some footnotes here in your margin. And the earth and the works that are done in it will be exposed. Now, I just gotta say there are a few times we have variant readings in the text of the ancient copies of manuscripts because we don't have the original obvious that, obviously that Peter wrote. Uh, and I just wanna show you a couple of, of these here. This is the predominant one that we see certainly in our text here, that the earth and the works in it will be found out or exposed. That's the picture of judgment, right? Everything that's done on it, it's gonna be exposed. Uh, but you probably have read translations, or you could read translations, maybe this hasn't been your experience, of a variant reading that reads, "...the earth and the works in it will be burned up." Which again, it's already said that in the context that it will be burned up, but some ancient manuscripts have that uh, text in it. Uh, whenever you see the TR here we're talking about, you'll certainly see it in the King James Bible. Here, uh, variant number two, "...the earth and the works in it will disappear." And then look at the conflation here in variant number three, the earth and the works in it will be found, there's the exposed part, destroyed. Okay, well, that's a combination of both the destruction or being burned up and uh, being found out. Different words here, but the same idea, combining these two ideas in the Greek language. And then we even have a few manuscripts here or or, uh, groups of manuscripts in Latin even that don't even have that phrase or this last phrase in verse number 10. So I only bring that up to say that in this text, there's some dispute as to what was here. If it's burned up, well, we know that's already been confirmed in the context. If it's exposed, well, we see that throughout the Bible in terms of the destruction coming on the world, and all of that being the preliminary work of God to bring then people from the dead, the sea gives up the dead, the land gives up the dead, the earth gives up the dead, and everybody is now going to be brought before God for judgment. And that is certainly, if that is the right reading of the text, which I believe that it is, well, it is the harder reading, and that's a principle of textual criticism. If it's the harder reading, it's probably the one to be preferred because If there is a change to the text, it's usually to try and make that easier to understand. And this one is perhaps the hardest one to understand, and so probably was the original. Anyway, disputed. And there's a lot of dispute about it if you dig a few layers deep on that. But the idea of exposing people's works that are done on the earth, um, that is... The principle, and we ought to think that way in terms of the coming day of God's judgment, which is a series of events, of course. Acts chapter 17, verses 30 and 31, when Paul is preaching there in Athens, he says, The times of ignorance, I'm sorry, the times of ignorance God overlooked, there we go, but now commands people everywhere to repent. That's certainly the theme of our passage as we saw recently here in the immediate context of 2 Peter. Verse 31, because he has fixed a day. Right? We could call that the day of the Lord, a series of events in which he will judge the world. Well, it's going to happen through a series of events, but every single person is going to have their day in court, so to speak. And he's going to do it in righteousness, which is not good for us because we're unrighteous and the standard is going to expose our deficiency morally in every other way. By a man, and who's the one who's been entrusted all judgment? Well, the one who shares in our humanity, who's been made a man, God. God, the God-man, is going to be made um, our judge and through that man he's appointed to be the judge, and he is given assurance by raising him from the dead. But the, the idea of judgment of the world in concert with, in connection with the end of the world and the judgment of the world, very common theme. Not just of the world, but even this, and we should think more often about this because Christians don't like to, in first Peter chapter one verses 13 through 17, it says we ought to prepare our minds for action, be ready. Just like Jesus taught, as Jesus said, you should always be awake and alert and ready to work. Um, He says being sober minded, yet set your hope fully on the grace that we brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. We're always looking forward as obedient children, which is the concern of both first and second Peter for us to be firmly grounded in what is right. He says, don't be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but he who called you is holy, so you also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, now quoting a repeated phrase in the Old and New Testament, you should be holy for I am holy. For if you call on him as father, right? We have a relationship with him and that's true. We're no longer like we used to be. We are his children. Well, you're calling out to God every day, the one who impartially judges according to each one's deeds. Well, if we know he is the judge of all people, then we ought to be thinking about our lives and our actions and our behavior and our conduct. He says, so conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. While our judgment is gonna be different than the world's judgment and there's no condemnation for us in Christ, it is good to remember that whenever we hear about the end of the world, there is a sense in which it should bring uh, some reverential and sobering fear to our lives that reminds us of a coming accountability before God. So much more that could be said, but I hope that this is something that reminds you of how important it is for us to be ready at any time for this series of events to begin that are going to uh, lay Bear the the works of all people, and their uh, motives and their works and their conduct, as Paul said in 2 Corinthians 4. There's a sense in which we all need to be anticipating that as we cry out with an, in, a, a love and a, and a hope and an anticipation of the coming kingdom. There's a lot to this uh, that is saddening in terms of the world and sobering as it relates to our coming accountability. So back tomorrow uh, to deal with verse 11 as we continue our study of 2 Peter chapter 3.